Come on. Hello, dear listener. Before we get into today's show, quick ask. If you find value in today's show or you've gotten value out of a previous show, please leave us a quick five-star review. Be super grateful. Thanks a lot. Christine, are you ready? I was born ready, George. I like it. Well, I'm ready. The people are ready. Let's go. Welcome to Money Savage Engage. This is George Grumbacher. Christine Carter is a PhD. She is an author, a speaker, a coach, sociologist, and happiness expert at the University of California, Berkeley. I'm excited to have you back on, Christine. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be back. I'm a sociologist and senior fellow at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, and I'm a writer and a speaker and a, well, I used to be a speaker <laughs> before, <laughs> before the pandemic and a coach. I'm doing a lot more coaching um, now, and I I have for many years coached people on how to live more joyful and productive and fulfilling lives. So it's... Um, it's a really good gig. I people always say, "Well, why do you do that?" And I'm like, "Isn't it completely obvious? Yeah, uh, <laughs> like, who doesn't want to live a more joyful <laughs> and productive and fulfilling life? Like, I get to do all the research on myself first in my family." Yeah. So my my latest book is actually a parenting book called "The New Adolescence." It's it's about how um, we can help raise kids who are. Um, happy and um, fulfilled in this age of incredible anxiety uh, and distraction. It was actually published right as we went into lockdown. So I wrote it before the pandemic, but it's very relevant to right now. And um, the bulk of the work I do, though, is with is related to, you know, work life balance and um, helping ourselves recover from the stressors in our lives, which has also turned out to be very relevant yeah. <laughs> today. Awesome. So I, I told you when we were just getting ready to, to hit record here, I'm so excited to talk to you because this is so, it's a topic that is so near and dear to my heart. And when people ask you, well, why do you do that? Well, that's, that's, that's preposterous. If I could, <laughs> it, 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 fundamentally, I, I always tell people that I'm working to help people lead happier and more contented lives. And my part of that is, is money. And so if I can remove that, then hopefully people are free to really pursue whatever that, that, that they're truly interested in. So, so I totally get it. Um, so thank you for your work. And sure. here, here, here we find ourselves. We're having this conversation on September the 21st. And, uh, you know, who, who knows where we are? I mean, I, I know that we're almost through 2021, so hopefully. But um, I think that your work is probably more important today than ever. So I'm going to stop rambling. Um, what's, <laughs> what's, what's top of mind for you as, as we are talking right now? Well, certainly that uh, we are all facing incredible uncertainty right now. And um, I, you know, I feel like I've been in training my whole life to help people deal with uncertainty. Uncertainty is, um, is really hard for the human brain to cope with. You know, we crave information about the future in the same way that we crave food and sex and other primary rewards. It's thought to be evolutionary. And so our brains perceive ambiguity about the future as a threat. 
right? And so they try to protect us by diminishing our ability to focus on anything other than creating certainty for ourselves. So among the um, people that I'm working, I mean, virtually everyone I talk to is talking about how um, how unfocused they feel right now. I mean, I think stress can can do that, particularly stress about the future. I can't tell you the, the sheer number of people, like just friends and clients and stuff, people call me up and say, you know what, I've just realized I have ADD, <laughs> like self-diagnosing, right? And that that's actually um, a symptom of, you know, just the human brain, um, on uncertainty. You know, I think that the research around this is kind of interesting. Research shows that job uncertainty, just for example, tends to take a more significant toll on our, our physical health and our mental health than actually losing our job. Like, think about that. Hmm. You can lose your job. You, you know that you'll suffer in some ways probably. Um, but just being uncertain about whether or not you're going to lose your job, um, tends to be much more f- physiologically damaging for the most part. Um, and so like think about everybody like everybody who feels this kind of job uncertainty or any form of uncertainty. Um, it's it's a pretty big deal. No doubt. And I think that that's so it's scary, but so cool as as, as you're saying that because I think that understanding why it is that we feel a certain way helps us to then start addressing it. Yeah. And this notion that that our brains are hardwired to to dislike uh, uncertainty and to crave information about the future. That's, I suppose, that's why that's why we always watch the news, or, or now we dig into like Twitter to try to find information and to try to to, mm-hmm. to bring order to chaos. Mm-hmm. It also explains like all the people who've cleaned out their pantries and done a lot of like like how we. We fixate on planning and control, like trying to control our environment. I'm not saying that these are bad strategies. They're, it just helps us understand they're, they're good strategies for creating a sense of um, predictability in our environment, right, when we um, don't necessarily have it. And it also, so what happens when we label uncertainty as a threat, right? Like we can say, oh, this is something that's happening in my brain. That process of labeling um, in and of itself is um, is really helpful because it moves it from the fear center in the brain to more of the verbal and executive function centers, right? Like it, it becomes an analytical um, way of looking at your environment instead of just like letting that sort of more primitive, primitive part of your brain um, drive a a high need to tell everyone else around you what to do. I, I'm not saying you do that. I definitely do that. I've got a lot of kids and a husband <laughs> and animals and everything. And like, I can, it's helpful for me to recognize like, okay, I'm just trying to create control. It's not going to work to boss people around or yeah. give them unsolicited advice. And that's something that, that I definitely caught myself doing uh, probably, probably earlier today, but certainly over, over the weekend, <laughs> like, you know, I'm acting right now, like the things that I'm doing are so important and, and the thing, you know, that I'm trying to get done here are, 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 are the most important things we need to be doing. So I think that that's, that that's also extremely helpful to just understand that, that as we can identify and label them, it's actually moving, um, moving the stuff from one part of our brain to the other, which is potentially a healthy thing. Um, and 
I, I mean, perhaps looking at this then through the lens of how you help a, you know, a, a, a kid, an adolescent to manage through this stuff, because we as adults, brilliant people as we are, have a hard enough time with this. Not, and we're not dealing with these crazy emotions and hormones and everything else. Yeah, you know, my first step is to um, to always help yourself first, actually, okay. like that, because if you've got for That's kids true. of any age, um, also spouses, anybody around you, really, right? <laughs> Our emotions can be very contagious, and it can be contagious either way. So if you've got an undetected threat, basically, to your nervous system, if you're like operating in a state of stress. Um, you're having a stress response to the stressor, which is uncertainty. Um, everybody else in your environment's nervous systems are going to pick up on that, right? The, we're, we're a very clannish species and our nervous systems are very connected. So the first thing that we can do is try and counter whatever fight or flight response that we might be having. And so we can talk about there are a lot of um, ways to cope with uncertainty in particular. And there, it's a little bit more, um, it's a little bit different than the sort of like what you, what you would typically do for a stress response, but both things will work. So anyway, that's a long winded way of saying there's plenty of research to show that if what you want is to help the people in your household or teach your kids how to manage uncertainty themselves, the the number one thing is to focus on managing it and coping with it in a way um, that's really healthy for yourself because we can, we can as parents and spouses or even just friends um, really um, what's called entrainment, right? Our nervous systems can calm the nervous systems of other people down and I think simply by not being alarmed, right? We work on ourselves. We're modeling skills for, for our kids, if that's what we want to be doing. And, um, but we also can use our nervous systems to calm the nervous systems of other people. It's so, awesome. So I need to keep it together. Don't freak out, George. No, I'm not saying don't freak out because because that would be really hypocritical. My parent, my like my family would think that that's hysterical, right? Like it's more about um, having having a having a nice repertoire of healthy coping mechanisms, right? Because you're going to freak out, right? And then you got to recover, and that it's all it's all about the recovery. All right, so so let's talk about that. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. So I think that the first thing <laughs> to say is that um, even though our brains hate uncertainty, it's much more effective not to attempt to create certainty, right? The goal isn't to try and reverse the state of um, uh, uncertainty in that in like literally because I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but like every plan explodes right yeah. now. Like we're living through this time of unprecedented change, right? Like we just like uncertainty isn't really there. Now that doesn't stop us from trying to create certainty. You know, we have entire industries devoted to filling in the blanks on our futures, right? Like I look at my teenage, my teenagers are really into astrology apps. Um, and 
I'm getting, you know, I am getting lots and lots of calls from companies who want me to do strategic planning for them in the middle of all of this. Nice. Um, we're, we're looking at like the rise of some incredibly influential conspiracy theories. Mm. And it's important for us to, to see those for what they are. They conspiracy theories really provide us with simple explanations for really complex phenomena. Right. And, um, and it's an attempt to create certainty. So the first tip that I would give all of us is not to try and create certainty to, to not resist, um, resisting the current reality, uh, which involves incredible, ambiguity about the future that resistance doesn't help us uh, be more flexible in the face of change it doesn't help us recover from stress it doesn't help us learn or grow it certainly resistance never makes us feel better makes us feel worse um so resistance really prolongs our pain and our difficulty by amplifying the more challenging emotions that we might be feeling like um, anger or fear so there's real truth to the aphorism that what we resist persists. Um, there is definitely an alternative, right? So the alternative to resistance is practicing acceptance. And so we can talk a little bit about that if you want. Yeah. What that would look like. Yeah, I'd love that. That's that. so much powerful stuff right there. Um, and the the idea that conspiracy theories are are there because we're trying to create order out of out of chaos yeah. so that that makes all the sense in the world so okay nice all right yeah. so 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 what do we do what we resist persists alternatively right, right so acceptance is really about meeting life where it is and moving forward from there so a lot of people are like oh i don't want to practice acceptance um because they're confusing acceptance with resignation right acceptance is not the same as resignation. Accepting a situation doesn't mean that it will never get better, right? We don't, we accept our present reality. We don't accept the f- things that will happen in the future because they haven't happened yet, right? So um, we, we, to practice acceptance, we look at what reality is holding for us right now, right? Like, um, the the reality of certain losses, for example, or the reality that um, school isn't going as we anticipated it, yeah. <laughs> as parents or whatever the difficult thing is. I mean, there's there's like so many. Um, so we sort of hold that those things are true. They're facts. They're circumstances that have already happened. And then, and this is the tricky part, we. Um, we accept how we feel about those situations. So we kind of surrender resistance to the problematic situation and, or the difficult circumstance, and also to our emotions about the situation. So, um, so just we'll sort of leaning into and noticing what we're feeling. This is, it's really a, a practice of, um, being present, it can really ground us in what's actually happening so that those emotions aren't running, um, running our lives under the surface of our consciousness, you know? So it, if we, if we take a moment to really identify how we're feeling, then, um, 
that it's not that that emotion is going to get bigger. Like we get a, we, we sort of, um, become afraid that the emotions are just going to take over our lives. But actually, if we never consciously touch into an emotion that is there, right, we just suppress it or we deny it. It tends to amplify the emotion in terms of the physiological response that our body is having to it. So for example, on Friday, I got a text from my son that um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away. And I just was like, what? Like I, I just like, he knew that I had all my alerts off except for from my kids and, um, because of something that was happening. Right. And so he, he told me and it came through in the middle of something I was trying to focus on. And I just, so that's the fact, right? Mm -hmm. Something happened. And I just felt this sort of like overwhelming sadness. And then I, but I didn't really let myself feel it. Like it just welled up in me. And then I was like, Oh my God, I have to finish this project by the end of the day. And I just sort of tried to shut it off. (laughs) You can imagine how well that worked, right? (laughs) It didn't work. Right. So I just needed to like step back and lay my head down and cry for a second and, um, and lean into it. And then the emotion sort of metabolizes, right? It's not like my, it was like, my grief over the situation was over. But when we try and suppress our emotions, when we resist how we're um, feeling about them, even if they're, even if we have a really good reason for doing it, I don't know if you just heard, but my, my dog just joined us. Sorry about that. No problem. (laughs) But even, even if we have a really good um, reason or a logical reason for suppressing our emotions, that, that tends to really create um, a lack of focus for us. Right. We know, and we know that it will hurt us cognitively um, and in particular, make it harder for us to focus when we're suppressing emotion. So just taking a moment to identify what it is we're feeling can allow the emotion to move through us. It doesn't always. Sometimes we need to do it for longer, but for the most part, it just helps us metabolize the reality of the situation. Helps us metabolize the reality of the situation. <laughs> I love that. Technical turn up. Well, Christine. Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? My difference-making tip for you is to really invest in yourself right now. You are the best resource that you have right now for surviving 2020, for making a contribution to the world. And when that resource is depleted, your most valuable asset is really damaged. So invest in your body, in your mind, in your spirit, in the way that you need to. Don't defer maintenance on yourself. We human beings need to really sustain ourselves through our relationships, our, we need to get enough sleep. We need to spend time having fun just for the joy of it. Um, do that going forward for yourself. Well, I think that is great stuff that definitely gets to come up. Come on. Christine, thank you for coming back on the show. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Where can they get your books? My website, christinecarter.com. I've got an email um, sign up there that's only only once a month. It's very manageable, but um, <laughs> you can um, find all my books there. Love it. 
Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Christine your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to christinecarter.com. Check out all the great resources she has. Pick up copies of her books and get on that email list. Thanks again, Christine. Thanks for having me. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together. Yeah. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? Are you a little bit overweight? Not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive two-week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com, S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X.com, and get your mind, body, and money right.